the legal trade of wildlife can be estimated between 7 and 23 billion. This is about 10% of all the global trade in, of wildlife, which is a very significant problem. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at the illegal wildlife trade. Every year, huge numbers of animals and plants are bought and sold illicitly as food, medicine, clothing, furniture, and even musical instruments. Wildlife is big business. Trafficking is driving some species, especially rhinos, elephants, tigers, lions and pangolins towards extinction. Many others are at risk. We're joining me now to find out how we can crack down on the deadly trade is lawyer David Vivas, Chief of Section of UNCTAD's Trade, Environment, Climate Change and Sustainable Development Branch. David is committed to saving the environment and has even converted his home to solar energy. Well, thank you for joining us today, David. To start, how big and widespread is this issue and why should people care about it? Many thanks for the invitation. I think the issue of illegal wildlife trade, it's global. You find it in all countries, whether in the supply side, meaning a species being extracted and illegally traded, but also in terms of demand and consumption. You find it both in developed and developing countries. It's a huge problem in economic terms. The legal trade of wildlife can be estimated between 7 and 23 billion. This is about 10% of all the global trade in, of wildlife, which is a very significant problem then. Second, uh, impacts of illegal trade of wildlife, it's very diverse. First, it fuels extinction of a species and also the cascade effects of these species disappearing in ecosystem and the food web. The second is that illegal trade of wildlife species undermines livelihoods of rural communities that may be living directly through the use of these species or indirectly to tourism and other activities related. And finally, it undermines the capacity of states to regulate that species, to benefit from their trade, and also from, again, indirect activities such as tourism or taxes or charges for mm. permits. So it's basically undermining economic, social and environmental activities at all levels. The main convention regulating legal trade of wildlife is the Convention on International Trade of Wildlife Species, mainly flora and fauna, CITES, and there are more than 40,000 species being regulated today at right. three levels, banning, regulation, or monitoring to ensure that legal trade is sustainable. And what species are particularly at threat of trafficking? There are many species, but if we go to the specific, it is incredible, but 75% of all seizures by customs officials, police, etc., at different parts of the world, relate mainly to six species. And I'll name elephants, linked to ivory, rhinos, similar, and skinks, also pangolin, linked to the scales of the animal, which is a beautiful mammal from Asia. We also have rosewood for timber. But also we find turtles and we find corals. So this means that these species and their byproducts are highly valued by black markets. And what are the main drivers and hotspots of poaching and trafficking? The main drivers are the economic value of these species. They have a high price. And this is one of the contradictions of this trade. The more depleted 
an endangered species, the highest is the value of the species and the byproduct. And many are attracted to get these luxury, exotic products at the cost of exterminating wildlife, which is a very bad situation. But also, the nature of this illegal business is that it is very much linked to organized crime. Mm. And very much linked to additional crimes besides the poaching itself, which includes smuggling, bribery, corruption, money laundering, and sometimes even drug dealing and trade of people and other illegal activities. There is a coincidence between areas where there is illegal trade of endangered species, and at the same time, these are biodiversity-rich areas. And namely, this is Africa, Southeast Asia, the Amazon region, the Andes, the Mesoamerica, the Pacific and the Caribbean. Also, you have on the man side, very rich communities in Asia, in North America and in Europe, but particularly in Asia for different purposes, from luxury purposes like ivory, handicraft, traditional medicine that can be used certain species for particular products. It's, it is a, a network of actors from the poacher to the consumer. And that includes, obviously, the poachers, that includes the smugglers, that includes the illegal trader, that includes the illegal retailers, and that includes those that shouldn't be buying illegal products. Also, who's making most of the money? Usually the traders, not the poachers mm. at the lower level, sadly. Mm. So that happens in any business. The middleman gets always most of the resources. And what we should do about it? Well, at that level, there are international cooperation to try to tackle this particular type of crime and try to dismantle a different level. There is significant cooperation between exporting countries, countries where the species are being extracted, and importing countries at all levels. But as any police enforcement action, there is a limit of what they can do. Usually 17 to 20 percent of the cases may be captured or seized, but there is still a big portion that cannot be controlled due to the size of the trade and the different smuggling techniques that can be very creative in many cases. Who is buying these goods? This is interesting. Usually people with money, usually rich people. Usually the only case where you have poor people trying to, to do poaching or illegal capture of a species is for meat, for bush meat. Mm. you know, to survive. And that's why it's so important, especially at that level, that local communities are engaged as custodians, but also benefit from those species, because if they don't have alternative livelihood options, they may facilitate that trade. And at the same time, if we give them alternative livelihood options as custodians, guards, or as being the tour guides to go and show the species to tourists and get some income, they themselves will become the guardians of the species. So how do we tackle this problem at the source, along the smuggling routes, or by targeting demand? Who needs to do all of this? I think we need to enable and facilitate legal trade. Legal trade needs to be easier to do than illegal trade. If not, you're putting the incentives in the wrong side. So we need to facilitate permit. We need to facilitate recognition, movement of this trade. So there is less incentives for the illegal part have what we call the Blue Biotrade and the Biotrade program, which basically seeks to support value chains to legally source a species that are regulated. We don't, talk, we don't work on the ones that are being banned, only that the ones that are regulated, to enable that local communities are the ones that extract them under a sustainability criteria, in implying quotas, management, closed seasons, etc., and that they acquire the necessary permits and they trade themselves. So they get the benefits at the lower level of the value chain and as much as possible, the value addition. So we basically try to 
strengthen the legal trade and the value chain so there is there are no illegal activities and there are many cases where we have work on a species like python skins yellow anaconda ornamental and medicinal plants rosewood and the anguanaco and queen conch the second is obviously tackle illegal trade flows and that mainly implies stronger enforcement education of an improvement of the means of custom officials, police, judges, etc. We also need to, again, involve people living close to hotspots, biodiversity areas. The third action is to reduce demand, and that's very important. We need to inform retailers in many of the countries where the high demand is, especially in Asia, to tell them, do not buy or sell these products. This will deplete, destroy your own business. This is not going to be good. Go for the legal track for consumers. Inform them even in airports, at tourist spots, or to luxury shops, or to traditional medicines. So it's important they know so they don't get into trouble later because these are illegal activities. And the last point, and this is very important, is basically ecosystem depletions, biodiversity loss, land use, land change, mainly destroying forests and biodiversity areas, to be used for agriculture, cattle ranching, due to poverty and lack of livelihoods. And a new framework under the UN called the Kumi Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework has set up very interesting target, ambitious target, by which by 2030, we should restore 30% of marine, terrestrial, and other ecosystems in the planet. So we can start not only stop depleting, but start restoring and trying to recuperate many of the areas that we have lost. And we are far from the target. So it's a big challenge to start protecting more. And you can, within these protected areas, allow sustainable use, life from traditional fishers or, or local communities, so we can protect and at the same time ensure livelihood for those who really are close, live from it, and should take care and benefit from biodiversity. Big challenge in front of us there, David. Well, thank you so much to UNCTAD's David Vivas, who is this week's guest. Tune in to the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. There's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now. <laughs>